This episode of The Homilist is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri has been focused on the same mission for over 75 years, to train men and women for Christian service. Ozark's Bible Foundation, Christian Community, Global Outreach, and Affordable Cost prepare students to serve in whatever kingdom assignment God has for them. With residential and online degrees, Ozark sends out workers into the harvest field. With 15,000 alumni serving in all 50 states and in 100 countries around the world. Ozark is also glad to offer next-level resources, free videos and webinars for you and your church, led by Ozark professors like Michael DeFazio, Shane J. Wood, and Mark Scott. Next-level resources cover topics like how to read your Bible, the parables of Jesus, and exploring the Enneagram, and much more. Find next-level resources at no cost at occ.edu forward slash next level. And find out more about Ozark Christian College at occ.edu. Welcome back to the Homeless Podcast. Got a great guest for you today. I'll keep it short. His name is Kyle Eidelman. You probably know him. He's got a string of really great books. Books like Grace is Greater, God's at War, The End of Me, Don't Give Up, Aha, and of course, Not a Fan. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Thank you for listening to The Homeless. This is my conversation with Kyle Eidelman. Kyle Eidelman, welcome to the Homeless Podcast. Hi, man. It's great to uh, be with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is really cool. This is really cool. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, your assistant and I, we've been we've become friends uh, since last December. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, the uh, I've, I have watched your podcast some, and so I wanted to be on it. And it's been a crazy season here, so I'm glad we got this worked out. Yeah, no, that's excellent. I'm glad. I'm glad we could uh, we could get it. We could get together. So that's cool. That's cool. Uh, so uh, you are in. Louisville, Kentucky, Southeast Christian Church. It's got a wonderful reputation, wonderful reputation in inside the Christian Church. Done a lot of good, a whole lot of good. It's spread, it's grown. Um, what's the very best thing about Southeast Christian Church? Uh, well, you know, you kind of touched on it. Is there, There's a long legacy of um, what I would consider to be very humble and faithful ministry. And... Um, you know, it is something I'm thankful for every day. I sometimes say uh, it is a lot of fun to to gather harvest where you didn't work the field, and uh, and I feel that I often get to do that. I, I get to I get to harvest where other people have spent a long time planting and watering, and uh, and we're still planting and watering. But there's a lot of harvest that comes in because of long time faithful, humble service. Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to. I want to dive into. Want to dive into this topic a little bit. A little bit deeper on on the idea of kind of your preaching style. Like when I listen to when I listen to you preach, what you what you extend is a real heart for those who are broken in in a in a busted place. Uh, I want to dive into that more. But the question I want to ask about that is, is what's the What's the what's the inspiration behind that? I, and I understand, you know, well, it's Jesus, but I mean, what's the like? That seems to be a hard like. That's your hard focus, it seems. Like when I hear you preach, yeah, you know, I I think um, it, it probably depends what message you're listening to or what series we're in. You know, we try pretty hard to have a a 
intentional balance of you know more prophetic and uh, vision preaching, but to also make sure that you're always preaching to the broken. Um, you know, I'm very aware of how many people we have on a on a weekend who, you know, they come and yeah, you know, they they are in you know they need triage the the mm-hmm. things are are a mess and um i think after hearing enough of those stories and spending enough time with those people um you never want to have a weekend where you didn't have something to say to them um i just uh, increasingly convinced that there's just a, a lot higher percentage in our audience uh, that that really need that kind of uh, care and and shepherding. So I think just spending time with people, um, understanding um, that you know you're preaching to people who are broken and are going through you know things that are very overwhelming to them in that moment. Um, you know, you talk to a lot of people who grew up in churches where they went at a time in life where they were broken and desperate, and the church didn't really have anything for them. Mm-hmm. And that breaks my heart when I hear those stories. Um, so I, I think understanding who your audience is and the brokenness, I, I love seeing the spirit move in our church, um, through, uh, what I would call, you know, more raw stories. Um, it's one of my favorite things that I've seen God do in the last number of years is, um, is people are much more vulnerable about what they're going through and, um, and that culture of, uh, vulnerability allows there to be, a more genuine confession and transformation uh, makes more room for Jesus. And, you know, if you look at, at Jesus' statement of um, why he came at, to preach, you know, he, he came for the broken and um, he came to heal and forgive. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely in, intentional. And, um, and I, I think it just is mostly reflective of names and faces that I have in my head as a pastor. Yeah. Is yeah. there uh, is there some some connection? I mean, to your own history, to your own um, your own journey in faith and life that has that has brought that a little more a little more close to home for you in a sense of man, I remember these. I remember this deep dark moment, this season that was just tough for me. And man, I don't want people being in that spot. Like I want to um, sure. I want to reach out. Yeah. So I've had a couple of seasons like that. So I, I would trace some of that back to I remember as a as a 16 year old sitting in in church and uh, a girl that I went to school with came in and sat sat down in the sanctuary and um, you know there were some people in front of me that were talking about this girl that I went to school with who was uh, in high school she was pregnant and um, you know. They were concerned. I overheard some of their conversation about being concerned that she's in the youth group. And um, you know, then I started listening to the sermon through um, her perspective of this you know, pregnant ju- junior in high school girl. And I remember that for me as a 16-year-old, uh, being a, a – I, I was angry. I felt angry that that was her experience when she came to church. Uh, that's how people – uh, looked at her, and that's you know this this is how the sermon was heard by her, and um, you know I, I I think those types of moments are significant. Then I would also say being a church planter in California uh, really helped 
prepare me for preaching in Kentucky because I, I learned in California, you know, just in a, in a place where people were more open about some brokenness. They weren't trying to necessarily keep up appearances and, and also being in a new church, you have more of that. Um, I learned that that's who people, that's who they are. And that doesn't change whether you're in California or Kentucky. Um, and so learning in a new church environment to preach to the hearts of people that way, um, I, I think I think it informed my preaching significantly in in Kentucky. Oh, that's good. Did you notice a difference? Did you notice a difference between the level of transparency between people in California and people in Kentucky? Um, yeah, broadly, yes. But you get people in a room, and um, if you can, if you can get someone to be transparent and vulnerable, everyone else kind of lets their guard down some, and it, you know, vulnerability is contagious. So it, 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 in the large sense, you know, people were more guarded in Kentucky, but, you know, once you get people in a smaller group, you find out that we're all pretty much alive. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. The way we, uh, the way we always refer to it is it's, uh, it's kind of like when, uh, it's kind of like when one kid throws up on the bus, it's not going to be the only one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's coming. Uh, Yeah. It's not the end of the show. It's not the end. Uh, Yeah. So, who are some of the guys that that inspire you? I mean, when uh, and let me let me let me first make this statement. And this is in a. I'm not I'm not asking you to engage in this this part. But let me let me make the statement. You are definitely a shift. You are definitely a shift in the voice as far as Southeast goes, in the yeah. way you preach. There's a definite shift, um, and 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 I think it's a I think it's a great one. Um, I think it's a great one. Um, who are some of the guys that have inspired yeah. you and kind of brought you along? Go ahead. Say, you know, one of the things that Southeast has done well is that they have been intentional with that. I, I can tell you, when I came here to preach, one of the first things Bob Russell did was say, "Hey, the church doesn't need another Bob Russell. The church doesn't need another Dave Stone. You know, we've got those. So you be you." And you know, one of my favorite definitions of preaching—I um, forget who said it—but it's um, God's truth through personality. And I, I think there's a lot of power when you preach as yourself, like your, your most effective sermons are going to be the God's truth through you, through your personality, what he's done in you and through you and who he's made you to be. My most impactful sermons are not going to be me trying to emulate, um, you know, someone that I happen to find super inspiring as a preacher, but it's, it's me being me. And so they, you know, as a church, uh, Southeast really honored that. And you don't always see that sometimes when there's multiple voices, Within the church, um, you know, a preacher will tend to gravitate to someone who preaches like themselves. It's just human nature. Nothing wrong with it. We just tend to value, you know, who we are and, and how we communicate, how we see the world, and you know, the way we communicate. We tend to think is the best way to communicate. And, uh, and so, to understand that the humility of being able to say, "Hey, we don't we don't need somebody else like like me. We need a different voice." And and by the way, it's so much healthier for the church because people don't compare apples to oranges they compare apples to apples and so um you know having multiple voices that different personalities different approaches to the text different generations um you know and knowing that that was welcomed uh, that that was that was the desire um i think that i think that was really important yeah yeah i uh i'm on i'm on staff with luke bycroft and um, uh, he, yeah. his, his teaching, his teaching 
is so incredible because he's just so analytical and there's no detail that escapes him. I mean, he's just so good. And when you sit and you listen to him preach, it's line by line by line. Like nothing's getting out of the net. Like it's the whole batch. And we'll throw we'll throw out the, the the bad later. But this is the whole bit. I mean, it is just line by line. And and when he preaches, there's a really cool response. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's a really cool response in the congregation. And there's so many people who show up and they're like, "Oh my goodness!" Like he like he impacted me on such a intellectual level, you know, and I have a different response when I preach. When I preach, it's like that no. moved me. That moved me to something. But to but for Luke, yep. it's like that taught me. Like now I understand something. And man, that's just that's so valuable. So an example of that for me would be um, I think you had Albert Tate on on recently, right? Yeah. Uh, so he he preaches for us four or five times a year, and it's always you know, interesting to me how when he preaches, it awakens a part of our church that I think is so healthy that I don't awaken that. Uh, and, and, but I, I love, and I value the fact that God uses his truth through Albert's personality and giftedness to accomplish that. I think it's, um, I think that's a beautiful thing. So yeah, I, being able to, I've grown in this. I don't think I've always felt this way as a preacher, but being able to understand just the beauty of uh, different voices, different personalities, different approaches, and how it reaches different people at different places in life. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, preachers, preachers can get pretty territorial at times. Yeah. I, you know, I, I you, you would probably have better in insight on i i've had such good examples of preachers who are not that way yeah. that i see it um but i've never really i've seen the opposite with the people i work with and preach with um and, and so you know i i don't have as much um I, I don't have as much personal experience with that just because i've it's been the it's been the opposite experience yeah. for me yeah, that's super. Well, what you see so what you see so many times, especially when you get into rural churches, you'll see this this yeah. idea of, like I'm the voice, like I'm the voice, like I need to be the voice, yeah. you know. And and there, it's almost like there could be a there could be a loss of power, a loss of influence, which is really ugly, which is a really ugly thing to to see. But it it it's I becomes. That, I was gonna say, I suspect that that will be less and less because you you know what was true 20 years ago is that people i mean that was maybe their only voice and if you right. and so if the preacher exposed them to somebody else that was really gifted and good yeah you know yeah. then they could control that to some extent even though that that's not the right spirit i mean but that might have been and the only person's opportunity to hear preaching unless they were listening to you know, maybe chuck swindoll at just the right time on the radio but that was that was kind of it but now you know I'm amazed at the different um, the different the people in our church that lift, listen to different preachers, people that I wouldn't necessarily expect. You know, they podcast a half a dozen preachers that I that I listen to, and uh, that's a beautiful thing. And you you know, trying to control that these days, I think is pretty impossible. Like, yeah, I agree. So it's not it's not only it's not only spiritually. Uh, you know, immature. It's also you, you can't do it, so might as well embrace it. Yeah, yeah. dumb, dumb. Yeah, it's right. Just, it's just dumb. 
Yeah. Who are some of the guys that uh, that really inspired you as far as preaching goes? And not necessarily preaching, but as far as communication goes. Who are some of those guys? You know, what's interesting is how that's changed for me over the years. I, mm-hmm. I think I, I used to be really inspired by people who I considered to be, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, talented. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way a singer might get inspired by someone who can just flat out sing. I used to be really inspired by preachers who can just flat out preach. And and while that still is inspiring to me, what I, I have sensed in the last, I don't know, however many years, probably five, six years, you know, I love to listen to um, like a missionary that comes in and, uh, you know, kind of preaches out of the overflow of his heart. Um, I love that. I, I, I be, have become more inspired by, by people who may not have you know, as we would call it, this hyper communication gift, but um, are are faithfully loving God and loving people, and 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 um, what they have to say comes out of the overflow of of that, which is interesting. I I mean, because I do love the art of preaching, but I'm you know I've, I've I've seen a lot of that, heard a lot of that, and um, I'm very grateful for it. But what inspires me tends to be you know. I listen to one of our campus pastors preach. Um, you know, they preach four or five times a year. I love listening to their sermons, man, because they I know how they love God. I know how they love people. And um, and it's it's that inspires me. Yeah, that's cool. When uh, does your does your writing and your preaching sound similar? Uh, my, you know, mine does. I, I think that the challenge I'll see if I can word this right, but because I've not really expressed this much, but I think the challenge is, you know, a lot of preachers write how they preach. Um, and that's, that's fine and good. A lot of times you can tell when you're reading a book where it's a collection of sermons, I'm not saying that's right okay. or wrong. You just kind of okay. tell, okay. but, uh, for, for me, I preach how I write, if that makes sense. So I've, I, long before I started preaching sermons, I was writing sermons. And I think that the discipline of, of writing the sermons first, uh, I, think that, I think that helped a lot. And the other thing I would say is it goes back to the, the embracing the personality side of it, embracing kind of who you are and the voice God has given you. I think the same thing that makes a, a preacher effective um, is the same thing that makes an, an author effective, that you know, if I can write a book and give a lot of information, and maybe it's helpful and interesting, but it's the it's the truth through personality that engages people uh, differently. So, learning to embrace your personality in both the written form and in in uh, spoken word, I think is I think that's a big. Uh, I've not really talked much about that, but I think that's pretty important. See, for me, when I'm doing that, it's a lot of fun, and I sense that. That it flows much more naturally if I'm neglecting that, like if I'm not intentionally uh, kind of embracing that, um, it feels like a lot more work. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think that's a good insight. Yeah. Is there some um, there's some some difficulty in trying to find not only not only your preaching voice or or maybe even your writing voice or writing style. But is there some difficulty in the step that comes before that in embracing your own personality? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I think that um, 
you know, it, I think it requires some time to be confident in, in who God made you to be and not trying to spend your time wishing you were somebody else or wishing that you had somebody else's gift um, or trying to sound like someone else. My hunch is that for most people, and this was true for me, that just it just takes some reps. Like, you know, it, and that's okay too. Like God's going to be, um, you know, I'd say to young preachers, you, you preach as often as you can to whoever you can. There's something that happens. The, the more you preach, the more you kind of find your voice. I, I work pretty hard at not listening to the same people all the time. Um, I cycle through different preachers and pastors that I listen to just because I, you know, I want to be inspired, encouraged by them. I want to be taught by them, um, but I don't want to be them. And, um, and I know that if, I, if I'm going to listen to, you know, I, if I binge listen to preachers, which sometimes I, I do, and you listen to me preach the next weekend, and you're like, man, yeah, it sounds a little bit like, you know, whoever this guy is he's been listening to. So I, I think, you know, em, embracing that, and, um, yeah, I think it takes a little bit of time to discover it and then to embrace it. One of the one of the joys of doing this podcast is is I will have to submerge myself in – the sermons of the people who are coming on as guests. And yeah, yeah. And so what's cool is then I will I will think to myself, I wonder if I can implement this certain thing that they do this next week when I, like I preach. It. I wonder if I can do that. Yeah. I wonder if I can if there's an undiscovered gift or ability or maybe um maybe maybe it's something I really can do and do what I'm really comfortable with. Um, like, I, so I get this opportunity of being able to, you know, okay, so let's try to do this thing a little. No, no, I'm telling you, like after Albert Tate, well, I, I was, uh, I was out, I was out of gas. I got, I don't know how in the world, know how in the world to, to make that happen, you know? Um, but that's yeah. been one of the cool parts is being able to kind of go through there. Who are, uh, who are some of the guys that you, that you've, you spent some time listening to that have, uh, on a preaching level? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. Um, I, I'm I'm a little. I've been in this season, those last six months of constant preparation and writing, and you know, this is me confessing to you that <laughs> I, I I have gotten out of the habit of yeah. regular listening, and I yeah. need to get back into it because I know it's good for my heart, and I know it challenges me. I knew you were going to ask that question, uh, yeah. and I do think. You know, if I can be a hypocrite, I do think it's in, it's important to be intentional to do that, to build that library. It's such an incredible time to uh, to be able to connect in that way, right? Like I think of you know uh, Bob Russell when I came here. Yeah, you know, he had a collection of sermon tapes. You know, that was expansive, but yeah, to really work to listen to these sermons from other people. Yeah. You know, because they're cassette tapes that you have to you know we live in an incredible time to be able to learn and grow from other people's preaching but i'm out of the habit a little bit yeah. no that's all right i think there's seasons for that um you yeah. know prior to prior to this prior to this podcast uh, i was listening to nobody else and and here's the reason why and this was this kind of played into the reason why i i thought the podcast was just necessary that was i was in i was in kind of an insecure place of I, what I don't want is I don't want to listen to something that's great and then that then define me as being terrible. Yeah. And yeah. I don't and I don't want to listen to something that's terrible and then me say and that's why I'm great. 
and I don't need to move forward or grow. Like it's it just that. And so it was just this, I have myself in this, you know, this stalled out position of, man, I don't, I, I'm a little fearful to hear what's out there. And then it was like, buddy, you're going to have to take a step forward. You got to be a little more brave than that. You go hear some guys, you know. I think what you just hit on is, is a big part of doing this in a healthy way is that you have an awareness of how am I listening to this person and what, where is my heart and my spirit in this? And you know, one of the things I, I love and appreciate about my dad, he's 73 ish. And the, when he, he lives in Louisville, Kentucky, and he's been preaching most all of his life, but it doesn't matter who is preaching. You know, he is sitting there taking notes, listening to every word. If you ask him about the sermon, he's going to tell you five things about the preacher that he loved that, you know, he just he's he's listening to it in a way that's very positive. And you know, he wants to learn. He wants to grow. You know, he w- wants to see how God is going to use you know the power of preaching. And uh, and he's looking for it. And I, I think, you know, having the right going and listening. Listening to messages, preachers with that type of spirit, yeah, it's, it makes a big difference. Are you or someone you know wanting to make a difference with your life, but you're not sure where to start? At Ozark Christian College in Joplin, Missouri, they help students discover the kingdom assignment that God has for them and then train them to carry it out. Ozark prepares students for all kinds of Christian service, biblical communication, biblical justice, youth and children's ministry, counseling, missions, organizational leadership, worship and creative arts, and much more. Ozark's close community, Bible foundation, and commitment to service prepares students to take the gospel to every corner of the globe as ambassadors for Christ. And Ozark's affordable tuition offers a quality private Christian education at a public university price. Ozark Christian College, your mission is out there. Your training starts here. One of, one of the identifying marks... Uh, one of the things that I picked up in your sermon that I absolutely in your sermons that I absolutely love, and I don't catch it in the I don't catch it in the books as much, but I I I do catch it in the sermons. Is you have a you have a really great sense of humor when it comes to sarcasm, and I mean that in a I mean that in a very positive way. Like there is a there is a there's a cynic deep in there somewhere um, that that kind of oh, catches yeah. no that kind of. It kind of catches a right hook every once in a while, uh, and, and I love it. I absolutely love it. So here's one of the things I've learned the hard way, and this might be helpful for uh, you know for some preachers who may have already learned this. But the you know if you're if you have a little sarcastic bent, you can get away with that humor a lot when the audience knows you well. So a huge advantage to preaching you know at a church for a number of years is I can give a sarcastic look at the church where I preach and I can get, I can get good humor out of that, that look because they know me. They know, they know how I see things. They know what I'm thinking. They know what that means. Now, if I go to another church and I preach and I use that sarcasm looking for humor, I, it could be a, it depends on who they're used to listening to, but it could be a significant miss. And suddenly what I thought I meant to be sarcastic comes off as, you know, uh, genuine and, I've created I've created some issues. So I, I think, you know, one of the, the beautiful things about preaching in a place where, you know, you've invested over a number of years is that, you know, the people know you. They know your personality. And so humor and things like that um, get picked up on much, much more easily at in the home church than maybe they do on the road. 
It's very good. It's a very, you handle that very, very well. It's really good. And when I hear it, when I hear it come, I'm like, mm, it's, that's a good one. That's a, like, I'm with you. Like, that's, it's sharp enough. It's sharp enough, but nobody died. And it's really good. I appreciate it. <laughs> I tell you a guy, uh, uh, a guy I really, uh, really admire his preaching. And you may even, you may have even uh, met him or, or know him, uh, Aaron Wheeler. Um, I don't know if you remember the name or not. Aaron Wheeler. He was an Ozark grad. And I want to say he was uh, maybe 03, 04, uh, right around there. You were, you were probably gone um, a few years by then. But yeah. he, he, uh, he has that same... He has that same internal cynic. He's really good with the sarcasm, but he does such a good job of of pulling the pulling his heart out and putting it out there in an intellectual on an intellectual plane. Yeah. And that's a that's a real gift. And I, I see something similar in the way you preach as well. Taking your heart and putting it on an intellectual plane. Like that's a it's kind of like uh, I was talking to a guy the other day, and uh, in fact, it was it was Aaron, and and I was I was telling him I was like, you know, the the danger is sometimes in preaching, is we ask a theologian to do the job of a poet, you know, mm-hmm. and and what we really what we really need sometimes is we need somebody to step in and speak to the heart of matters, and I'm not saying there's like we need theologians and we need teachers and we need prophets and we need the whole thing, but sometimes what you really need is what we do is we take a theologian and we say okay here's your job description now go be a poet you know and yeah. it's it's impossible and so in reverse sometimes being able to take the poet and put it on an intellectual plane that is just incredible to me and i think you do a great job of that uh, it's a great observation I, I i you know i do try to do some of that intentionally partly because uh you know where i'm at i know my audience is it's it's eclectic i, I mean i i have I just have a sense of the fact that I'm I'm talking to a lot of people on both ends of that spectrum, and uh, and that's probably true everywhere to an extent. But you know, I think some places, you know, perhaps more so than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. I, I and I appreciate that. I mean, I appreciate that a, a whole bunch. Um, uh, how do you handle, or how should we handle? Uh, and if you can speak to this even personally a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm not trying sure. to pry. Uh, the personal breakdowns that happen for preachers in the midst mm-hmm. of trying to lead, which I think is always so insightful when guys begin to talk about that, because it's like uh, you're expected to be the leader. Now, how do you handle your own personal breakdown? And you seem like the kind of guy just in your preaching, you're a pretty transparent guy um, on a lot of yeah. levels. Um, so how do we do so, that? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I, I think, First, we understand that that culturally, this probably is not an option. Like you need to be doing this to some degree. You know, finding the healthy way to do it, um, but it, you should be intentional with that. I, I just, I just think in the world we live in, being able to model some of that is so important. Um, but that's a significant shift. Like a lot of guys grew up if they were had a homiletics class, they may have been taught not to do that. Right. Like, you know, you don't bring your right. your pers- don't tell personal right. stories or illustrations in the pulpit. So, you know, Bob Russell, who was the preacher at Southeast for so long, he he was doing this long before it was, um, you know, popular. Uh, yeah, he would talk about, you know, his stuff at and marriage and, and 
challenges and sell, you know good things and bad things and um, I I'm really thankful that 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 was modeled kind of gave permission for me to do that uh, for Dave to do that and, and um, I, my a couple thoughts would be number one you know I my wife is is really comfortable with most of that like she uh, she has very little patience for um, you know, pretense within the church and it feels like one of the most important things that I need to be doing as a pastor and preacher is making sure that the rest of the church understands that we are, you know, we are all figuring this out and, you know, we all have struggles and challenges and, um, you know, she's taught me a ton about, about grace and, um, the way that grace is taught to people is by, you know, the only way people really catch grace is if they, if they can see that in, in my life and in my marriage. And um, so I think that's important. I have, you know, four kids, three of my kids are out of the house. So I've had three, you know, I've had three teenagers while I've been preaching. Um, I, I ever use a personal struggle that was directly connected to them. Um, I, I think, you know, if they, if they were, if they were going through something and they reach a point in in their lives where they want me to share some of that, then that's, that's one thing. I mean, that's, but it's their story to tell and it's their, their testimony to share. And, um, I, I never would want to, to tell a story about something, you know, that we, a struggle we were having with one of them or that they were having spiritually that that would cause there to be any kind of, uh, you know, resentment or bitterness or hard heartedness. And uh, so I'm pretty protective of that. So if you hear me preach, I might talk about, about I'll, I'll talk about my struggles and I'll talk about, you know, where I'm, I'm um, having a, a difficult time or where I've really needed God's grace or where I felt weak or I felt overwhelmed. I, I'll talk about that. I, I rarely would talk about that. Uh, I, in fact, I don't think I would ever do that about someone else in my family, um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, how do you wrestle with the? Uh, and you kind of you kind of touched on it. How do you wrestle with? Um, we're all just figuring it out. We're all still figuring this thing out. The standard, the standard, is for, for somebody to put a standard on you and say, "Yeah, but you are Kyle Eidelman. You're the preacher. You're supposed to have this stuff." Do you ever feel any of that pressure in where you are? I. I, I I do, but I reject it uh, uh, passionately. I I I I don't tolerate. I mean, I would not tolerate that spirit or that language. Uh, you know, I would I would not. That would scare me uh, pretty quickly if if I felt like that was um, what I was creating in people. And so if 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 that if, if that's what people are picking up, then I'm doing it wrong. And uh, so that that's a, that would be a big red flag for me. I mean, I feel some of that pressure, but it's usually from people who are new, or it's from people who don't aren't really connected to the church. Uh, if people who are around me were thinking that, you know, then I have some I have some repenting and confessing I need to yeah. put into practice. That's that's good. I appreciate that. <clears throat> I appreciate the language that you use to say that as well. That you would reject that. That you would you would absolutely reject that whole idea. I I, I appreciate that a bunch. We had a moment. Um, we had a moment. Oh, year or so, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Um, we were riding in the car, and my my oldest was asking me about about dating. So when can we date? When can we date? 
Right. And we begin to, because it was like, it was, you know, that, that just kind of happens out of the blue. It's like one minute, it's just, oh, yeah. we're playing and life's good and everything's just, it's so easy. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, so I got this question about boys. And it's like, what? <laughs> you know? And so we, we, and I'm not kidding you. Uh, I'm sitting there trying to process this stuff while we're driving down the road. My wife's beside me. And so I just pull over on the, I just pull over on the side of the road, put my hazards on it, and I turn around and I say, here's the thing. Um, I've never had a 14 year old girl before in my life ever. This is a very, this is my very first time. I've, ne- I've never, never, ever. Um, I, this is the first time of being a dad that I've ever had to deal with like a boy issue because I've got girls in my home. And uh, I said, have you, have you, have you ever, wrestled with this to my wife and she's saying no no i asked my daughter if you is this a first thing for you are you this is kind of out of the blue right do you do you know how to be a 14 year old girl she's like no i don't so here's the deal we're all new we're all new okay so so here's my request can can we take this step by step and just kind of just kind of stumble through because here's the thing you need to know about your mom and me we don't know what we're doing okay like we don't know we just don't know what we're doing is that okay if we take it step by step? And the smile that came across her face was like, "Yeah, yeah, like that, yeah, that's okay. Like that's a hundred percent okay. It's step by step yeah. is good, you know." Uh, yeah. it, was, it's, it was a great conversation. I shared that one. I shared that one at church not yeah. long ago, and it was oh man, the, the the response was, I think it relieved some of the parental pressure that that I, I like up, that. You know, I really like the visual of of saying to a congregation. Not all the time, but at certain times, you know, you pull over, you turn around and say, can we figure this out together? I, I think that I think that's a really good visual of, of a way to communicate uh, in, at certain times. Well, and you know, I mean, if 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 we're wrestling with it in our home um, and and our life is focused in a direction, not just on Jesus, but on church, um, the yeah. culture of our home is probably different uh, than a lot of people. Man, if we're wrestling with some heavy stuff and that's weighing on us, can you imagine what what other people are going through, you know, who may be new to it, may have not had the legacy of having Christian parents and being in church their entire life and being under great preachers and, I mean, really, really gifted. I mean, you you were raised in a Christian home. You've been surrounded by great preachers and great men of God for a long, long time, you know, as have I been. And Man, if if, still if, it, if it can burden me, you know, man, some of these folks are some of these folks are getting buried under it, you know. Um, yeah, so I just, man, I just, I think about, I think about folks like that, and like that's tough, tough stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Do you see? Uh, do you see? Do you see some of the pitfalls uh, of preachers? Um, do you notice some of the things that? Like you catch on to something that they do or something they say. What's the thing you look at when you hear a preacher? What's the thing you're listening for? You know, I, I think one of the pitfalls that I I know that I can fall into, um, some of the guys that I, I, I do life with who are senior pastors, uh, if, if they're part of especially, but maybe not. Maybe this is just the way I would see it. If they're a part of a large church, it's it's easy to put yourself in a place where you're not – Mm. Um, spending time with people one on one, and when you stop doing that, you stop you you start running out of things to say that people really need to hear. You know, uh, um, and so a pitfall would be, hey, I'm going to spend the next three weeks in 
meetings, you know, working on budget stuff, uh, studying, putting together series, and I'm not spending time with with people who are who are in church um, or coming to church or in the community. If I'm not doing that, then my, that gets that's reflected in my sermons pretty quickly. I also know that's happening if I don't have stories to tell. Um, I'm not. It's that. It's either coming out of not having enough personal reflection, where um, you know I'm not journaling, I'm not I'm not being intentional to reflect in my own life, or it comes from not knowing what's happening in the lives of other people, where I can share their stories. So you know, to me, those are um, those are a couple of red red flags that I will watch out for. One of the things I do um, at at uh, church is I used to go out to the lobby area and kind of shake hands and between services and such but now i'll i'll typically meet with three or four people on a weekend uh so if anybody calls the church and they just they just want to talk to me i'll say uh that's awesome you know i'd love to just sit down with you for 15 or 20 minutes on whatever weekend you know whatever service you come to let's just let's just sit down after that and uh and sometimes people will say, well, no, I need 30 or 45 minutes. But you know what? Almost always they just need 15. And, uh, and if I can ask some questions and listen to some, their story and pray for them and learn their name, that it's going to make my sermon the next week more impactful because of the 10 or 15 minutes I took with the person the week before. So there's yeah. just this very direct yeah. connection to life on life. And then the, what happens in preaching. And by the way, I mean, it, this is what the Gospels teach us. This is the ministry model of Jesus. It's the one-at-a-time approach. I mean, it's just so much of the real estate of the Gospels. In fact, you know, much more real estate in the Gospels. It's not about—it's not the sermons of Jesus that were recorded. It's the, it's the one-on-one. It's the one-life-at-a-time encounters that Jesus has with people. And so, you know, that to me, that's a significant pitfall that I have to watch out for, that I don't create— these walls around me that make it difficult to to spend time with with the people I'm preaching to. Yeah, I think it's a um, it's easy to get insulated, and and I don't think that's just a big church problem. I think that's also a small church problem. Okay. I mean, it, yeah. it, I think in I think in a situation where you're at a large church and you can have somebody who guards the door, and you can have somebody who guards the calendar, you can have somebody who guards the phone, and you can and you can push some of that back. I think the temptation would be to go into isolation and and think that that's a super valuable thing. And I'm not I'm not suggesting that it's not. I think I think sometimes isolation is one of the best things that can happen for your sermon. And I think yeah. what what you'll, yeah, what you'll see for a lot of guys in rural places is th- they're so inundated with people and problems and conversations, the sermon suffers, you know? Fantastic observation. Yeah, it's the the opposite side of it, which is a pit, can be a pitfall as well. They're not – they're spending so much time with people. That's really good. You're right. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've been in yeah. churches where I've done that too, and – and uh, I think you're right. Yeah, it's an it's an it's an easy thing to do, and and there's and you kind of have some you kind of have some voices of you know you think about the guys that you had for homiletics and expository preaching and advanced biblical preaching and all this kind of stuff and, and and any sort of seminary class that you that you take and and these guys will tell you you know how many hours should you put in on your sermon you know whatever that number is probably five more than that you know that's probably yeah 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 five more would make it even better. And so then it's like, okay, so I got to do this. So by, by the end of the week, it's like, so I, I'm, I'm running on about 127 hour a week um, in my own yeah. head. Like, how do I, how do I fit this 
how do I fit this in? And so what we do is we just kind of go hard, hard to the left, hard to the right, hard to the left, hard to the right, you know, all people, all sermon, all people, all sermon. And I think finding that balance is pretty difficult. But I think what you're doing, I think that's a, I think that's a brilliant idea. And l- let me ask you this. Do you find that in the 15 minutes that you spend with people, 15, 20 minutes um, after a service, and this is after a church service, is that correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. Sometimes before, but yes, before yeah. When you spend that time with people, do you find that oftentimes what they're wanting to do is just come and tell you something? They just want to tell you something. Want to be known, man. They, they just they want to be seen. And, you know, one of my favorite stories from the life of Jesus is, is with the the bleeding uh, woman where Jesus, she reaches out, touches the cloak of Jesus. She's healed. And then she tries to hide. And there's this little phrase that Luke uses where it says that seeing that she could not go unnoticed like she realizes she can't go unnoticed that jesus you know is going to look for until she's seen and i think that's incredibly powerful uh as a ministry as a ministry uh, commitment that i'm going to make sure that people can't go unnoticed because I, i think that's what that 15 minutes is about i'm not i'm not solving any huge problems in 15 minutes but being seen and heard and prayed for and loved, um, then when I get up to preach to that same person, it, that 30 minutes that I spend in my sermon for, for them feels like I'm I'm sitting across the table for them because now they feel known. And um, yeah, yeah. So good. I uh, uh, On Sunday mornings, what I, what I try to do, and, and sometimes, sometimes things are just so crazy, it's nearly impossible to pull off. But what I, what I try to do, and we're talking in a church of 150 people. I try to make sure I shake everybody's hand before before I Love preach. It. You know, and 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 this is something that God laid on my heart and it sounds so silly, but but here's here was the here was the the, the impactful part for me. Like some people just need to be touched just need to be touched by you. They just need you to be there. Reach out. Hello. Good to see you. Glad you're here. Because that's going to open up the ears and that's going to open up the heart. And then they can hear because now you're a human being. You're not a, you're not just this disembodied voice. You're not just this, this, you know, talking head that's up front, but you're somebody who like this person came over and it's not, not like a celebrity thing. Like, Oh, I'm famous. But but sometimes just that personal interaction just so, so much more important. And I'm telling you what, like that has been so valuable for me on a personal level on taking my preaching from a head a head space to a heart space. Because yeah. the work of a sermon can be so much head and you can forget the heart part, you know? Have you it's it's like this, Kyle. Have you had those moments to where you wrote an entire sermon and then later thought to yourself, I don't think I prayed about this sermon one time. Sure. Yeah. You know, those yeah. moments of, uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, it turns into a, a paper that, you know, just turns into something you studied and wrote about. And uh, I don't think that's sustainable. Like, I, I think if you do that very long as a preacher, you'll, you'll burn out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Takes the joy out of preaching. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're trying to be the vine instead of being the branch, you know, you're, you're going to. It won't last. It'll just wear you out. And so, um, yeah, I, I think understanding, you know, the, the spiritual connection between what I'm producing and you know taking the time to pray through it and be connected, 
that's a game changer for me and how much I had and, and how much I enjoy preaching. It took the pressure off of me. Um, it it took, completely changed it when I started to make sure that that was the priority, that the connection, not the production, was the priority. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that um, this is me personally. Maybe you can speak into this. I've noticed that the more prepared I am in my sermon, as I've taken my sermon, the more prepared I am when I go and preach, the more I come off of my manuscript, off of my document, and the yeah. more and the more the spirit works. Why? So well, for me, I, I, I kind of resonate with that. So I can over I can over prepare and I go in there. I do everything by word count. So if I go if I go in there and I'm super prepared, but I have four thousand words, I'm too prepared. And I need to have about twenty two to twenty five hundred words. And I need to leave room um, for extra space. And um, I mean, that's part of the preparation process, I guess. But but for me, what really gave me more freedom in preaching was when I moved to writing my sermons on Friday. Um, I preach on Saturday. So when I started writing my sermons on Friday and finishing them on Saturday at noon, and in some ways that seems like an unprepared thing to do. But I go into Friday, I've done my studying, I've done my praying, I know where I want to go with it. If I had to, even though I've not written anything, if I had to get up and preach it, I could preach it. It might not be very good, but I could do it. And to me, like, it's about getting all the pieces of the puzzle, and then on, but I, I wait till Friday to put the puzzle together. And there's something that happens, this is just very personal for me, I'm not saying this is the way to do it. But there's something that happens for me if I put the puzzle together on Friday and Saturday morning and preach it on Saturday, that it comes out of the overflow. It feels it feels very fresh in my mind. I, I I used to finish my sermon by Tuesday or Wednesday, go over it, you know, ten times, and and then I, I think it was a little bit more rote. It, I I didn't. It it was um, it, it wasn't as out of the overflow, and so. So to me, switching those days and write, doing the actual writing on Friday um, really, really helped me prepare instead of being done earlier. Yeah. Not everybody's that way. That's the way. That's the way um, I'm wired. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> hey, uh, before we uh, before we hop off of here, uh, let me uh, let me uh, let me ask you this this last this last question. Uh, then I want to then I want to tell you something about about you that I appreciate. And um, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll dive out of here. And you get back to your day. Uh, there's so many guys in ministry, so many guys who have been beat up, pummeled by the church, hurting, uh, broken, busted to pieces, and they they hang into ministry for any number of reasons. Um, what is some encouragement you can give some of these guys? And, and specifically, I want to I want to focus this question towards those guys who are in the churches to where we look at the Kyle Eidelmans and we look at the Aaron Brockets and and we look at these guys that are out there in the Albert Tates and, and these massive churches and and we we bought into a lie a long time ago that uh, we're mega church or we're mega church or bust and that's it. That's it. Like this is the only model. Mega church is the only model. What kind of encouragement can you give some of these guys who who find themselves in that in that in that place feeling like failures? So you know, for me, 
because I went from planting a church where there was really nobody um, uh, to to being a part of a large church. To, to me, the the one at a time uh, approach is is where it's at. Like if I understand that that my calling is to you know love people one at a time and um, uh, keeping that focus. Um, because there's a lot of things in a large church that can feel very discouraging and overwhelming, and it's it's just different. They're just different. I've I've been in both environments, and believe me, and I can speak for Aaron on this too. You know, there are many days where where being in a church of two or three hundred people sounds awesome. There's just different. It's just different. Different struggles, different challenges, but the. Um, but it's pretty easy, I think, in any in either of those types of uh, churches to to feel the way you're describing, right? So, um, I I I feel increasingly um, I became the senior pastor at this church about six months ago, and one of the things that I've learned is if I put the pressure on myself to make the church grow, um, it's miserable. I, I don't care what size the church is. If if you think your job is is to grow the church. Um, that's not your job. Our job is to plant the seed and water the seed, and God's the one who makes it grow. So, you know, to, or to go back to your job is to be the branch. You can't produce fruit. Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, you know, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you can bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So, you know, I, I think understanding that dependence, embracing, you know, embracing that it is faithfulness that we've been called to, uh, I'll worry. I'll let God kind of worry about the numbers and worry about the rest, um, which might sound easy to say, but it, but it really is. I mean, it really is true. Um, otherwise, you end up feeling insecure and discouraged, or you end up feeling arrogant and prideful. And if, if I was going to choose, I'd rather be insecure and discouraged and arrogant and self righteous, right? So you know the the depend learning and, and reminding yourself it's all God's grace and I'm going to love people one at a time. I'll worry, let him worry about the rest. Kyle Edelman, thank you so much for that, buddy. I appreciate it. Here's, uh, here's, uh, here's something I want to tell you. You have, uh, you have done a, you have done a great job where you are. Um, uh, you do a great job of handling the word. You do a great job of, of taking the heart and laying it out in front of people and it it takes a it takes a it makes a very big stage and a very big platform something very very personal and i don't know if i don't know if people are going to be able to come and tell you that or not but what you've been able to do where you are is take a very large platform and make it very very personal and i appreciate that so much it's uh it's been absolutely uh, a joy listening to your sermons reading uh the stuff that you've written and and even sitting down and talking to you. So thanks for doing this. I appreciate and, it. And thank you, brother. I, I love what you're doing. Thanks for teaching me and for uh, teaching other preachers too. Yeah. Well, buddy, I'll let you get back to it. Thank you so much for being on the Homeless Podcast. See you, brother. Thanks. See you. Well, that wraps it up for another episode of the Homeless Podcast. Thank you for listening, Kyle. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your ministry. We will catch up with you later. See you.